have it. So, I have a theory. Hit me. I think everyone has a feeling, and I think it's fueled by fear, but I think everyone has a feeling in the back of their mind or whatever, or deep down inside of them, of how they're going to die. Okay, so like a premonition thing? Kind of, um, but I don't think it's like... Actually, I don't think it ever comes true because I don't think anybody's is I die peacefully in my sleep, which is why I say that it's fear fueled. Right. Like I've always felt like if I were to die a brutal death, it would just be someone like shooting me in the head. Huh. Hit by bus, I think is mine. See, I think and and they're always dramatic, which is why I think that it's fear based. But I think everyone thinks about it. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, like, we were at the beach the other day, and I have an irrational fear. Well, not an irrational fear, but I have a fear of getting caught in a riptide because I love swimming in the ocean so much, and I have been caught by a riptide before, and it's terrifying. So have I. It w- that would be a really rough, Yeah, drowning at death. sea would be really rough. Yeah. Like, just taking a mile out. Yeah. Hmm. Do you know why humans are scared of planes? Why? So... It's like when they pass overhead, right? So there's this theory. It's called the... I think it's called like the big bird theory. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there used to be... Supposedly, according to the theory, there used to be giant birds. Mm -hmm. Like raptors, like predators, right? When humans were very, very young as a species. So these like megafauna, right? Mm -hmm. And they would fly overhead and they were one of the main sources of like predation on humans. Mm -hmm. Since we are like top we are, we are apex predators except for those yeah i mean and i'm afraid so, of planes for other reasons i'm afraid of yeah. being on a plane but uh, um, yeah sorry so this movie was very difficult for me <laughs> yeah but apparently that's why people will like cringe when they feel a shadow go overhead oh okay that's it's the that's the theory it's like, like some there's a, there's primal. something yeah it's like a, a genetic memory or something like that okay and like you feel it right at the base, uh, base top of your neck, like at the base of your skull, mm-hmm. and there's like some gland there that apparently goes off. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's one that's one theory I've heard. Interesting. That I always find kind of fascinating. Hey, babe. Yeah, babe. Remember that time we watched Final Destination? You mean the slasher with no villain? Yes, that is correct. I'm Nicole. I'm Topher. And we're the Horror Babes here to talk about. A big franchise. Huge, um, what huge, what huge. is it? Two comic books, like a nine uh, uh, book series, yeah. and five movies. Yeah, no, definitely. If like five, yeah, that's it's such a big franchise <laughs> between yeah the nine novels, the two comic books, and the five movies, like you said. Yeah, and I mean it. It makes sense why um, why this is. We'll talk more about it later, but it makes sense why this is such a huge franchise. So we'll be doing the normal format today. If you don't know what that is, Topher will take us through who made this thing. Shout out the cast and crew. I'll take us through the plot. And then in our third segment, we will dive deeper into an analysis of said plot. So Topher, who made this thing? Well, a bunch of people. That's usually how movies do get made. Usually, yes. Yeah. Some exceptions. But Some yeah. exceptions. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was directed by James Wong uh, and also written by... Uh, he worked with Glenn Morgan and Jeffrey Reddick on the screenplay, and Reddick wrote the story. If the name James Wong sounds familiar, it's because he's a big fucking deal. Um, mm-hmm. He uh, was like 
one of the, he was a main writer on the original 21 Jump Street series. Mm-hmm. He wrote these. He directed the first and third of the uh, series. He worked on the X-Files. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is also one of the creators of American Horror Story. Yeah. Yeah, he's, mm-hmm. he's no slouch when it comes to, especially like the sort of weird genre. I won't necessarily call it all horror, but mostly. Yeah. Horror influenced, at least. Um, yeah, Jeffrey Reddick also major major in the horror genre, mm-hmm. particularly this. Uh, but this he's done others as well. Yeah, uh, the movie stars Devin Sawa of Casper fame. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> as Alex Browning, our uh, our premonition boy. Mm-hmm. Ali Larder as the dumb, one of the dumbest names I've ever heard in a movie. Clear Rivers. What the fuck? That's her name, Clear Rivers. I always think it's Claire because that's a name. Clear rivers. And they almost say it like Claire. Yeah. Clear. That's, oh, that is is a really bizarre name. And she's the reason why we stayed up until 4 a.m. the other night. 5 a.m., babe. 5 a.m. the other night. (laughs) Um, Because... I kept, I kept, I couldn't place her. I couldn't place her face. And then I was like, oh, I finally had to IMDb it. And I was like, oh my God, she plays Brooke Windham in the Legally Blonde movie. So we ended up watching Legally Blonde, the movie yeah, after the that, the original. And then Topher was like, I've never seen the musical. And I was like, well, there's like a professional recording of it that aired on MTV back in the day so then we watched the musical and then before we knew it it was 5 a.m i still had a full face of makeup on i hadn't showered like it was yeah yeah it was so a, it was thank a you ally larder for, <laughs> for that journey that night yep yeah so we've also got a uh, kerr smith um as carter horton Kristen mm-hmm. cloak as valerie luton the uh the french teacher who survives Daniel Roebuck and Roger Gunver-Smith as Agents Agents Whiny and Shrek, respectively. And Shrek? Agent Shrek. Amazing. <laughs> uh, and then Tony... Or, sorry, uh, we have Sean William Scott as Billy Hitchcock. Love him in this role. Mm-hmm. I love watching him play kind of a geek and yeah. not, like, big douchebag Popular stifler. football player, yeah. Yeah, or the goon. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then a nice little cameo from Tony Todd himself as Bloodworth. The the guy in the morgue. Ooh. <laughs> I love him as the mortician or like the the medical examiner. Oh yeah, and what what did I say? His whole like monologue there was just like recycled or thrown out lines from Lydia Dietz and Beetlejuice. <laughs> They're like that dramatic teenage dark teenager, right? But funny. being delivered by Candyman. Yeah, I got a good laugh out of that for sure. Yeah, I just love that. That's such a nerdy cameo, and I love it. Great score and soundtrack here from Adam Hamilton and Shirley Walker. Mm-hmm. Uh, cinematography was from Robert McLaughlin. I don't believe any relation to Kyle, but he's or Sarah. Uh, maybe Sarah. He is Canadian. Maybe arms of the anchor. <laughs> that damn song that got ruined by those animal commercials. Really. But I, I love McLaughlin. He shot a lot of Game of Thrones, Love, Lovecraft Country, Westworld. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's had a really great career in sort of like prestige TV yeah. Yeah. after this. It's so funny that he did this too, though. And then the editing was from James Koblenz, mm-hmm. um, who has done all of this. He's worked with uh, he's, turned, he's worked with James Wong a lot because he worked on The X-Files. He worked on The One, the yeah. Jet Li movie. Um, he did Curse of Chucky. Okay. <laughs> um, 
but yeah he's done a bunch of different uh, he, he's an editor we always say this like editors are just like everywhere mm-hmm. always it's mm-hmm. a it's a very lucrative job if you are good at it yes and then the special effects coordinator definitely has to be shouted out here because the mm-hmm. we're going to talk a lot about that later but the special effects on this are fantastic even 21 years later yeah uh terry sonderhoff mm. uh but yeah like Terry sonderhoff worked on the remake of the fog x2 the x-men united movie he's done a bunch of the scary movies he's done battlestar galactica fun yeah really really fantastic had a great career sadly no longer with us but oh r.i.p we say that every episode i always talk about somebody who's dead rip <laughs> the budget pretty pretty solid 23 million mm-hmm. uh, it's a nice middle of the road budget uh, definitely not like your giant blockbuster budget and not like indie budget, but mm-hmm. it's a nice like we people talk about the thir- the death of the thirty million dollar movie that yeah. we're seeing right now because it's either you spend two hundred fifty million or you spend like five million right now. Yeah. Like a twenty four is like ten million and under, and Disney is two hundred fifty and up. Yeah, so that's kind of the range that we get now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but it made back its budget in spades, one hundred twelve point nine million. Yeah, it was a it was a New Line Cinema distribution, so they were going hard in the paint right here because the next year you get Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. or Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah, it won a couple Saturn Awards. Um, saw Devin Sawa for his his best performance by a young actor, and it won Best Horror Film of two thousand for from the Saturn Awards. Mm-hmm. But that's pretty much all I have to say. Uh, you want to take us away on some plot? Why, yes, I do. Oh my goodness! Thank you so much. So it's May. The year is 2000. The day is 13. We- <laughs> I love that. No, best intro ever. Um, we're, we're in high school. We meet Alex Browning. Uh, and everyone's getting on a plane. Flight 180. Um, and it, he's with his classmates for their senior trip to Paris. Gay Paris. Yeah. They're flying out of JFK. So before they take off, Alex has a premonition that the plane's going to explode in midair, killing everybody on board, obviously. It's a violent nobody, opening to this movie. Nobody survives. I mean, I, I couldn't look at it because of, you know, my <laughs> intense fear of flying already. I have to have, like, you know, a couple, couple alcohols in me to not completely freak out. Yeah, I've flown turbulence. with you before. Yeah. I've never slept on a plane. There's just no way. You get so mad at me because I just passed the fuck out. It's great. I have to be alert. So they all get kicked off of the plane. Three three or four of them? It's four, right? No, it's six of them. Six of so, them? Well, so uh, the two girls. Alex, Alex gets kicked off. Yeah. Carter starts a fight with him, so they're both kicked off. Uh, Todd goes to check on him. Terry goes to goes with Harder, Carter. And both of the teachers come off That's the plane. Right. And they're trying to figure out who is going to go on right. which plane because they're going to have to leave later. And Billy was in the way of them removing him. So he goes off on it. He goes off to let them through. Yeah. And Clear sees the freak out and is like, I'm going to follow that. Yeah. Which we, you know, we learn later that she kind of was feeling what he was feeling. So she had this. Yeah, she it was like she describes it as like curiosity, but she's like, I didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I didn't have a good feeling being on the plane. Yeah. So that plane that they were supposed to be on takes off, and exactly what happened in his premonition ends up happening in real life. 
Yeah. Scary. And then afterwards, uh, the survivors of said plane are interrogated by the FBI agents. And they're pretty suspicious of Alex because he was the one who said that it was going to happen and then it ended up happening. Right. So they're like suspecting some sort of foul play here. Right. Did he? Bl- and this is also, we should note, a very pre-2001 <laughs> movie. Oh, yes. That is, we <laughs> should have said no that way this, top, this, yeah. There's no way this movie gets made after 9-11. No, absolutely not. So then we're at 39 days later. They've been to a memorial service for everyone who was on the plane, basically. And then we get this. This must have been crazy for people who saw this like the first time around. Like, oh, like sure. if you didn't know yeah. the concept of Final Destination going into it, this movie probably like blew your mind. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I remember when I first saw it, I was probably like 12, 13 maybe, and it blew my mind. See, I saw I mean, I saw it too late. I already knew that what it was, it going. was all yeah. yeah, like odd coincidental deaths mm-hmm. that and there was no like physical killer. So, yeah. I didn't really have the pleasure of being like oh my god (laughs) but basically a series of events is all i can really call it a series of unfortunate events yeah um (laughs) leads to todd accidentally hanging himself in the shower yes you know yeah it's funny i i couldn't even begin to explain exactly long i've lived every place i've lived almost every single place i've ever lived had one of those clotheslines in the Mm -hmm. shower where you because you were asking me what even is that it's like it's a clothesline yeah, I have never lived somewhere with that in the shower. Yeah, and so he's moving his, like, hand washables or whatever. That's what you would use it for. Anything you hand wash, you just put it on there. For sure. No, and it's very convenient. I could definitely use one now. I've just never had one. Well, we will not have one in the shower because I'm terrified of them because of this movie. And Completely fair. Like, until the last few years, every single place I lived had one. Yeah. And it was terrifying. Mm. I hated it so much. I mean, yeah, I definitely look at them differently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, he's on the toilet. I, lo- I love the toilet shot. But you do. You you made us watch it like three times. It's very fun. <laughs> uh, but yeah, some weird blue liquid starts coming out of the valve, mm. uh, getting all over the floor. We keep thinking he's going to electrocute himself or do this or do that, but it actually just makes him slip, and he yeah ends up uh, hanging himself on the on the clothesline. Yeah, and he can't get out of the bath because it's too slippery. Yes, it's crazy. Yep. Um, so they, they eventually rule his death as a suicide and Alex is like, I don't think so. So he sneaks into the funeral home with clear to look at the corpse, which like, okay, (laughs) right? what? Um, and this is where we get, um, the mortician Bloodworth, great (laughs) name for a mortician. Right. Um, and just Tony Todd, man. Love Tony Todd. And he kind of becomes... I don't know. Could you call him a harbinger, even though they kind of already know that shit has happened? 100% a harbinger, yes. 100% a harbinger. Also a nice misdirect as like, oh, is he the villain? Oh, for sure. Yeah. The mortician becomes the villain. His whole speech is fantastic. It is. He, um, he, but he basically tells them that anyone who escaped the uh, circumstance, they've disrupted death's plan. And now death with a capital D is now claiming the lives of those who were meant to die from the accident. Yeah. So I am, uh, I am just going to read his speech really quick. It's so great. 
Go for you, it, Lydia Dietz. You have to realize is that we're just a mouse that a cat has by the tail. Every single move we make from the mundane to the monumental, the red light that we stop at or run, the people we have sex with or want with us, the airplanes that we ride or walk out of, it's all part of death's sadistic design leading to the grave. That was good. That was really good. Round of applause. Hey, it's not like I used to do voice work or anything like that. That was good. I'm sweating. That was good. Anyway, so now Alex and Clear are discussing their next move, basically. Right. And the rest of the quote-unquote survivors, I, I, that's such a dramatic term to call them, but I'm going to yeah. keep calling them that. They, they show up outside of this cafe, and then Terry in... Kind of like the only jump scare, one of the I, only. All of the deaths are technically are jump, jump scares. scares. Um, Again, all earned, I would yeah. say. But it's, yeah, they all, this is the most, this and Billy's are the most like, what the fuck ones. Yeah. And I mean, this, this movie itself definitely feeds off of shock value. So you have to have. Yeah. yeah it's, it's kind it's, of how most of the deaths need to happen. Whether it's yeah. a slow burn like Todd's death, where you're like, "Oh my god, what's happening? What's happening? What's happening?" and then you're like, right. "Oh," until you or a fake out like Billy's. Yeah, yeah. And then but this is the one that's just like, "What the fuck?" Yeah. <laughs> so she's just killed by by a speeding bus. <laughs> Exit um, pursued by bus. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So yeah, because she like they start fighting again. She's like, "Fuck all of you! This is ridiculous! Stop like, being!" Tries to cross the street and, and then just boom. yeah, boom. You're just like, "Oh, wham." I always forget about hers happening in that moment. I always think it happens later because it's so sort of um, callous. Like the rest of them have like a long sequence. This is the only one without a sequence. It's like, boom. Yeah. Yeah. So then they're watching a news report on the cause of the explosion. And Alex comes to this conclusion that death is reclaiming the the survivors according to the sequence of each intended demise on the plane. Yeah, so So how they would have been killed by the explosion. Yeah, so he's got like a seating chart, um, which gets a little confusing because everyone's asking to trade places. I want to sit with this person. I want to sit with that person. So he's got like an up-to-date seating chart and is basically is basing his theory off of that. So then he's he's like, oh, so the next person's going to be Miss Luton, who is the French teacher. Yeah, right? the one who survived teacher. and is terrified of him now. Yes. Um, but her house ends up exploding after she's impaled by a falling kitchen knife. God, so this one is another great sequence because she's freaking out. She's trying to make herself like vodka and coffee. Oh, because she just can't deal with it. Ma'am, Kahlua exists. <laughs> or like whiskey, like I, vodka and coffee. Yeah. So she or maybe Yikes. it's tea or something like that. But like we see her make something on the stove and then she pours like a fuck ton of vodka in it. Oh, my God. Uh, but she gets scared by something, breaks her mug, slices her own neck open drags herself across the floor somehow i can't remember how something starts igniting everything but it starts catching on fire yeah she tries to grab the towel that she left on the knife block for some reason to stop the bleeding on her throat yeah the giant chef's knife falls straight into her chest which point alex arrives tries to help her can't help her the chair falls and smacks the knife through her chest and then he pulls it out and he's like, oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. In this movie, there's just kind of no no avoiding your fate here, even if you try. Yep. He was he was too late. 
So the remaining survivors, which, you know what, we've dwindled it down to like four now. Yeah, we've got Carter, Alex, Clear, and Billy. Yeah. And Alex explains the situation while they're just, you know, driving through town. Carter is supposedly next if Alex's chart chart is correct. But he's still really upset over Terry's death. I mean, it happened earlier that day. He's freaking out that Alex, who he hates, is telling him that he's going to die. Yeah. And they, like, and then he decides, like, okay, well, I'm going to go all rebel without a cause on it. Yeah, he's like, he's like, I'm going to die on my own terms. And Um, all of you are coming with me. Yeah, so he parks on a train track, um, on a train crossing. And the others get out of the car. And then Carter changes his mind, like, very last minute. Um, but his seatbelt ends up jamming, which is another fake-out. Yeah. You know, it's, it's good. And then Alex saves him right before the car is completely obliterated by this oncoming train. But then, <laughs> y'all, it, <laughs> it just, like, something comes off of the train and it just completely decapitates. It's a piece of the car. Yeah, it yeah. completely decapitates Billy. And they're like just right through the jaw. Yeah. It's not even like it's not through the it's neck. Not it's not clean. It's, yeah, it's, it's like, through. He has bottom jaw, neck, yeah, body. Yeah. It's it's pretty intense. <laughs> it's such a good shot. I love rewatching it because it's so good. Yeah. So then, uh, basically, what Alex gathers is that because he intervened in Carter's death, death decided to skip to the next person that was in that original sequence, meaning Billy. Yeah. So now we don't know what's going to happen. It, do, does it just skip along and then Carter is free to go? Or does, you know what I mean? Right. So that's leaving us with that question. But Alex decides that he's next because of his chart where he thought he moved seats. Yes. So then he has lost it. The psychological <laughs> effects have taken its toll. He is he's in just this, full on ash at the end of Evil Dead. Yeah, he's in this cabin. This is like... Yeah, full-on ash at the end of Evil Dead. I think that's a perfect way to describe it. He re- Then he remembers that he changed seats in his premonition, but he didn't do so in reality. And so he realizes that he's wrong and that Clear, by all of his, you know... Um, justifications, Clear would be, mm-hmm. would be next. So he rushes to her house to save her. Um, this very funny police chase. Yeah, by these stupid. It's such a bumblefuck, like chase. Shrek. It's so it's so good. <laughs> Whiny and Shrek. Whiny and Shrek. Like what names? <laughs> you immediately know what the film thinks of them. <laughs> and so Alex ends up finding Clear trapped inside her car, and she's surrounded by these loose electrical cables that end up igniting um, a gas leak. We should note that she's like a, a sculptor. But mm-hmm. a very, like... She's so broody. Yeah, she's a very broody sculptor. Yeah. And, like, all of her pieces are really weird and, like, mixed media and... Yeah. If Julia Stiles didn't get that role in 10 Things I Hate About You, it would have been her. Oh, absolutely. Like, I have to believe that Allie Larder was on the list for that. Yeah, she's perfect for it. So he ends up... He grabs the cable and... This allows her to escape from the car just before it explodes. And throws him off, too, yeah. Yeah, throws him off, too. So then we jump forward to six months later. Three survivors, Alex, Clear, Carter. They travel to Paris to basically celebrate their survival. They're like, hey, we finally made it to Paris. Yeah. 
So they're kind of just talking about the past year and what happened and everything. And then Alex is like, well, I don't know if all of this is over since death never actually skipped him after he Mm -hmm. saved clear. So then he gets up off. He he leaves the table and a bus hits a, hits a parking sign toward a neon sign. And it, it starts sweeping at him. Yeah. Swinging like a pendulum and almost hits him. And then Carter ends up pushing Alex out of the way at the last second, but the sign swings back down and kills him, leaving Death's plan to resume. Yep. Fun. Great movie. Yeah, no No notes. Actually, some notes. Uh, One of which is the ending. So. I heard it was originally supposed to be different. It was. But here's what I have. Here, I have a problem with the the logic of the movie, right? Mm. So. It's supposed to be intervened on, right? Yeah. And that's why it changes the order around. Mm -hmm. Alex dies. He has no heartbeat. And Clear uses CPR and gets him back to life. To me, that seems like a win, right? Yeah. Um, Like like in... uh, um, Sorry, spoilers for the... or uh, Yeah, sorry, spoilers for Evil Dead 2013 here. Mm. That's how it goes with Mia and David, right? Yeah. Yeah. So why <laughs> is my question. And I think it's just it's just a weird issue with the logic of the movie because that's what it always reminds me of is like David's clever in Evil Dead and mm-hmm. figures it he figures it out, right? Yeah. And so does Alex and you think that he would have beaten it but then Yeah, but the, this movie's logic is different than that movie's logic. It's just the the internal logic is just different. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And I mean, I think that you know it's you know it's like a worldwide success when a movie crosses over into slang and vernacular. Yes. Because people in the same way that people will say, I felt like I was in the Twilight Zone, I, f- I feel like I've entered the Twilight Zone, etc. They say the same thing kind of about this movie. They'll say it was very Final Destination. Or like right. if someone is afraid of something a little irrational, they'll say this isn't Final Destination. You're yes. fine. You know, so it's it's kind of it, it kind of reached the slang and vernacular for up until this day people still know what you're talking about if you absolutely mention it in that manner and it's really that's how you know that something has become a popular success right yeah yeah like, exactly it's and a I good love marker that, yeah and i think what's really great about it uh especially for wh- why you like it you can't show the killer in this it's right? impossible to show the Nicole, killer don't don't show the monster hood that's me and you literally can't because the monster is just Well, and I think that that's what uh, turns this movie into something a little bit bigger. Like, I do love... Originally, it was supposed to be with adults that don't know each other. Almost like a crash situation. Do you remember that movie? Yes. I think that's what that movie was about. I watched it in middle school. It's terrible. It won an Oscar, but it's terrible. Uh, So it was supposed to be like adults that like don't really know each other. But since um, the obsession with teenagers in horror movies had a resurgence from Scream, they Mm -hmm. decided to put it with teenagers and I think that that is a lot more interesting because what do we say what have we been saying a lot actually about even right now with COVID and everything that a lot of younger people feel that they're invincible yeah we we have seen that and we say I mean we've said that a lot with you know any sort of reckless behavior Mm -hmm. and that kind of positions the question of mortality 
in an interesting way here, as opposed to it being adults who are older and wiser. Yeah, yeah. That they know? always use teenagers in that sense of invincibility. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that puts a completely different spin on the message of the movie, mm-hmm. which is kind of just that like everything's chaos, but it's not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything <laughs> is know? chaos, but I like that there's order trying to be restored, yeah, you know? For sure. So I, I have a long love and history for this series. I haven't seen the fifth one. I've mm-hmm. seen everything through the fourth one, The Final Destination. I'd be interested in reading the comic books. I would too. Um, but my favorite is, is Final Destination 3. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. Mary Elizabeth Winstead is the star. Nice. And we love her. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the cleverest one, I think. Except, I mean, two's also really good because what I was just saying about the like internal logic, it switches in two. Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking of. I was just looking at the plot of two again. I was like, right. oh, right. That's how the main, that's how the final girl fixes it. Yeah. Well, and whenever you have your first one, you are keeping in mind that you're setting up potentially. I mean, I don't know if they had signed a deal and decided that they were going to make multiple movies out of this, but this first one does a pretty good job of setting up exactly what we're going to be going through for the next (laughs) four movies after it. Yeah. I like that it then gives you space to explore in that. And you can have kind of, you know, the final girl who quote unquote fixes it and you can, you can kind Mm -hmm. of explore other things. I actually have a, have a quote from an interview with, Jeffrey Reddick, who actually wrote the original story before this was translated to screen. Yeah. Um, Someone asked him, how did the idea for Final Destination come about? And how was this journey from script to screen? So he says, so the idea for Final Destination first came to me when I read a newspaper article. I was on a plane actually flying home to Kentucky. And I read an article about a woman who was on vacation and her mother called her and said, don't take the flight you're on tomorrow. I have a bad feeling about it. So the woman changed her flight and the flight she was supposed to be on went down. So I read that story and that actually put the idea in the back of my head, but I didn't know what the story was for it yet. And when I was trying to get a TV agent, you know, back in the day, they would have you write a spec script for a show that was already on TV. I was a big fan of the X-Files, so I originally wrote a sample for the X-Files using that setup about a person having a premonition Mm -hmm. and getting off a flight. And fortunately, my friends at New Line Cinema, the studio I worked at, they were like, dude, this is a feature. Don't give, give us to a TV show. Come up with a feature for it. So then I wrote an outline for a feature and developed it with these producers, Craig Perry and Warren Zied. Zied? Zied? I'm, I'm not sure. Apologies if I butchered that. And, you know, after months and months of back and forth with, with the studio, because they weren't able to get their head around the idea of a movie where you didn't see the killer, where death was a killer. So that was a really tough selling point to get them to buy the property. But when, when we threatened to take it to another studio, they finally bought it. And that's how it started. And it was a really interesting journey because, you know, originally the concept was that the characters were all going to be adults that didn't know each other. Mm -hmm. And then Scream came out and all of a sudden the teenagers were hot again. Right. So they're like, you have to make it all teenagers. And so I wrote the first draft of the script and then we went out and got James Wong and Glenn Morgan, who ironically worked on the X-Files TV show. (laughs) They worked on some of my favorite episodes. And, you know, they did it. They did a pretty big rewrite on the script and directed it and turned it into what ended up on the screen, which I think is really a fun, cool movie. I'm really, really proud of that property, really proud of that film. That's so great to hear. Yeah. 
Also, you know, we've talked a lot about movies that start franchises lately. Mm-hmm. We just recently did. We have been the doing a lot of big franchise movies, yeah. Because yeah, mm-hmm. we did The Conjuring, we did The Purge, and Happy Death Day. Yeah. All of which are setting up franchises. Mm-hmm. This one does it the best out of all of them. I agree. Because what it does is gives you a chance to have an anthology series, yes. which I love. Because that's what this is. There's th- there is a connection in two because Clear comes back in two. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a connection in three because it's, I think, supposed to be what it's it's like a, the tenth anniversary or something like that of yeah. the crash is what I want to say. I think you're right. In sorry, in the final in the final destination, so it's the ninth yes. anniversary, um, and that's the connection. I ha- like I said, I haven't seen five. I really really want to, uh, especially because David Kirshner's in it, and I love him. Yeah. Um, it's the most successful setup for uh, out of the ones that we've covered recently. Yeah, I and mean, it's, it's just yeah. Sorry. Well, it, it already wins because it, when you you've got uh, the Conjuring just kind of like throws things at you. It's just so much throwing it's shit just, at the wall and hoping it all sticks. Yeah, and I mean, we spoke about this for like an hour a couple weeks ago, but it yeah, it 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 just is shoving things down your throat and kind of the same thing with um, the Purge as well. And so this one already wins by just kind of saying, like, here's this cool idea and here's what would happen if these people were in this situation and that automatically endears you to them in a way, uh, as opposed to like, here's this idea, here's this idea, here's this idea. You've got that kind of you've got your you've got your protagonist in Alex who's fighting something that he can't see. And Mm -hmm. it's. It's just a, generally an interesting concept to begin with, and I love the way that they set it up without just saying, here's an idea, here's an idea, this happened, this happened, because that is no that gives you no room to actually care. Yeah, about... no, what they did was they wrote a coherent story Yeah, that's, that's encapsulated. It doesn't have to keep going, but it very much could, and, and New Line Cinema said, setup. yo, let's do it then. Yeah, and and you you don't have to be endeared to the characters in a slasher. I don't think that that is in any way um, necessary. But mm-hmm. I think in something like this, where you're picking off of a real fear, like people have real fears of flying. <laughs> Hello, me. Um, people have real fears of you know just random their houses <clears throat> catching on fire. You know, so it's it's again it's this dying thing alone that's, in yeah. a freak accident, and that's mm-hmm. what it plays Not on. Not saying so goodbye well. to your loved ones. It's, yeah. So it, it this particular little tiny subgenre of slasher where it actually really plays on your own psychological you know fears and everything. It does rely on you feeling endeared to those characters to some degree. Yeah. Recognizing. And yeah, I mean, it's, it, it I think that's why they're all so well written. Mm-hmm. Um, and they all have, you know, at least two things about them, which is what I always talk about, right? Like mm-hmm. have at least two things about a character. If you want us to care about them, mm-hmm. Carter's the most one dimensional. Well, yeah. Terry is because she's in and she's, out of the screen. Yeah, yeah, she's, she's, she's got th- three scenes. Yeah. But you know, it's, they, they all have their own little, little, quirks and just like you don't have to dive into them but we know that clear is an artist we know that alex wants to study engineering we know that carter is a bad boy he's probably got a troubled life at home sort of thing you know <laughs> he's like a bad boy he's but he loves his <laughs> he loves his muscle car and he yeah. has depth and he doesn't like he does have depth you can it's mostly through the performance but yeah yeah 
Um, so I love and like uh, Miss Luton, we see stuff all over her house that just gives her character without see without her saying anything about it, without learning anything about it. We well, do know the, it exists. She's the French teacher that most likely organized most of their um, trip. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like she yeah. she probably raised the money for it and or fought for the money for it in the budget in the school. You know, like we know right. enough about her as well. Yeah, um, and so it's nothing, you know, you don't have to go too far into it, right? You're not yeah. overwriting the characters. You're not no. dwelling on them, but you are living with them in some space. And I love that. Yeah. That's how you write good characters in a slasher. It's just give it enough depth yeah. that it's... And let me say, this this whole... <laughs> again, I'm going to go back to The Bar is in Hell. Shout out to this movie for not having really cruel deaths towards the women. Think that changes it. later in one of them. One of them, it, they get a little raunchier with the movies. So in which one? Uh, I think it's in three. It's in two or oh, okay. in three. I'm pretty sure it's in three. She, the one of the women, dies in a tanning bed and she's nude. Oh, okay. Like she I burns mean, alive in a tanning bed. Interesting. It's a really. It, they, wow. They're really clever with the deaths. You know, that's that's actually. I, yes, she's nude, but that actually doesn't bother me too much because the claustrophobia that you feel in those tanning beds sometimes mm-hmm. can, like, I would I would not recommend anyone who's claustrophobic to go into a tanning bed. Sure. It's kind of scary. Like, I'm yeah, not gonna I lie. have a, I have a big fear of them now. You can, like, you can get I've wanted in your to go head. to one and I freak out whenever I think about it because of yeah. that. I've seen that movie so many times. What what I'm kind of getting at is none of these deaths are, like, oddly sexual for no reason. Fair. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's not like she was attacked by her vibrator or something like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> like or that like, girl we saw on TikTok. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Or, um, or like, um, like in, in Silent Hill, when, like, the unnecessary vine, you know God, what I'm talking about? The barbed wire the into barbed the witch. The barbed wire, that's what it was. The barbed yeah. wire into the witch. That, like... Completely unnecessary, right? Yeah. And again, the bar is in hell, but I do want to shout out this movie for not doing any of that shit. Yeah. I mean, t- again, they Terry... easily could have. <laughs> yeah. It could have been Carter who just went off and died like that, but it was Terry because she's the least written character, and I yeah. understand that. She's je- Her only thing is the girlfriend. Yeah. But we've got, you know, Clear is a very well-rounded, and yeah, there is... There is some some tiny subplot of romance between her and that happens out of Alex. nowhere. It happens, yeah. It's so silly. It's like just because I mean they're having a shared experience, I guess. But yeah, you know, trauma bonding or whatever. But yeah, trauma bonding is a good word for it. But I don't know. I I kind of I I this movie doesn't raise red flags for the way that it treats. Yeah, no, I think it treats women pretty it's, well. It's women in it, and yeah. that's just what I talk about every episode, so I mm-hmm. had to shout this one out for, again, the bar is in hell, but this one is above it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, the the worst is that Miss Luton dies in the kitchen. Yeah, that, and I think that that is a little bit of a reach. Yeah. I think she just... Again, it's a she good was, scene. She and, wasn't yeah. like making dinner for. It, it, she yeah, was, it's not she like she was making dinner for her husband. And, and, yeah. tea. Like, you know. <laughs> she was having a moment. Yeah. So, yeah, speaking of that, the effects on this movie, mm-hmm. top fucking notch. Really restrained use of CGI for a movie made in 2000. Think about other movies made in 2000 and how fucking heavily CGI they are. Yeah. And, and it I, looks like shit now. I kind of felt like in some of, what was it? There's one where he's like surrounded by butterflies or whatever, and we were like, what? It's the, uh, it the something explodes. It's when the house explodes. Looks and like it's, butterflies. It me. does look like butterflies, but it's like a bunch of little like charred bits. 
looks like butterflies. That's how bad the CG was. Yeah. In that one, like, they didn't need to use it for that. Yeah. But they did. Also half blind. Fair. (laughs) But where they did use practical effects was actually in the making of the sets. Yeah. So I didn't shout at this production designer earlier, but I will now. John Willett. What he did was he, he called it skewing the sets. Um, so he would play with color choice uh, and just trying to make everything feel off. He was really trying to use like the gothic that we always talk about. Just turn that thing to the left an inch. No, that's my favorite thing. I'm also just still thinking about how did I think those were butterflies? <laughs> I need to get my whole head checked. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Um, Yikes. Doesn't even make fucking sense. <laughs> I'm sorry, continue. You're good, you're good. Uh, but basically, so he made two versions of almost every single set. Mm-hmm. The one for before the crash and one for after the uh, explosion. It's a so lot that of work. The, it is. It, and that's a great use of $23 million. When I tell you how much practical went into this, mm-hmm. for $23 million, We stand a practical. We do. And it's like, this is like Raimi levels of attention to detail. Yeah. That's that's who I think this is most reminiscent of. Mm-hmm. Not nearly to that, like, technical perfection level. Yeah. But very few are. But this yeah. is right up there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's amazing. So he, every set for after the explosion is all skewy. Mm-hmm. And, like, the angles are wrong. The colors are wrong. Yeah. And every set before is, like, perfect and, like, sweet and natural. So nice. I love that he did that. It's really clever. No, that's really cool. Um, and yeah, he said he would like force perspective vertically or horizontally, nothing square. And just, yeah, he's like, yeah, in the real world, colors are bright and rich. In the skew world, they're washed out and faded. Nothing's obvious. It's only in the overall effect that these subtle differences will work their magic. We stand a production king. Love that. <laughs> love that. Yeah, so the, the plane scene was really great. And I definitely know that that's where most of the 23 million went. Right. So let me tell you what they fucking did, eh? Eh? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> What'd they do? They created a <laughs> giant soundstage, right? Okay. Or they, they rented out a giant soundstage. Sure. A three-ton hydraulic gimbal operated automatically. Now, do you know what a gimbal is? I don't. So do you, you know what a gyroscope is, right? Is that the thing that happens when I go to the gynecologist? I don't... No. So what a gimbal is is a semi <laughs> All right. So you... <laughs> oh, my God. That was a good joke, and I just went right past it. Um, so... I get no recognition. <laughs> I'm fucking hilarious amazing okay you know in every (laughs) jesus christ sorry you know in every astronaut movie where they have to get strapped in to that big series of circles and then they go to the gynecologist what (laughs) you need to go see a new gynecologist that is not how we i i have never been to a gyno you get strapped in I've seen pregnancy movies. I know what happens to the gynecologist. I'm just kidding. You just put your feet up in the, in the, in the stirrups. And then they put the little mouth thingy inside you and they go, whip. Yeah. Like a car jack, right? They just yes. go. That is correct. <laughs> but this is reminding me a lot of those times. Okay. So they do like the, um, whatever that Da Vinci painting is, the, the, the man with the two sets of, of limbs each. Oh, the, um... You know the one. The one that started, like, the Da Vinci Code. Yeah, that sure. Mo- that movie sure. book thing. Maybe. 
What is that? I don't know the difference between the Da Vinci Code and National Treasure, and I refuse to learn the difference. Isn't it just called, like, the something man or something? Yeah. Anyway, I don't want to spend too much time on that. So, it looks like that. You know, like, so, you know, when the... Oh, oh God, I'm having such a hard time explaining this. This is not... This... uh, People are going to be so bored. (laughs) The Michelin man. (laughs) Okay. Let's stop worrying about Da Vinci. Babe? Babe. I just... Now I have to know. I'm sorry. I know. Look it up later. Babe, please... Okay. I really need to describe this thing. Vitruvian Man. Not the Michelin Man. It's the Vitruvian Man. I can continue now. My brain, the roadblock is gone. It's vanished. Let's go. So my gynecologist. (laughs) So back to your gynecologist who treats you like the Vitruvian Man. Got it. Okay. So you know in the astronaut movie where they strap them in like the Vitruvian Man and they spin them around in a bunch of different circles? Sure. Motherfucker. Do you not know anything? I've seen Armageddon. Okay. And that's my extensive astronaut. Well, we're gonna watch knowledge. Rocket Man, not okay. the not the one I don't care about that was actually very good, but the one that with uh, yeah, okay. He's so, not talking about the Elton John movie. I am not. I'm talking about the uh, Harlan Williams 1990s early aughts movie where he goes to Mars and paints the Sistine Chapel with dry, uh, tube food. Bubble Boy. Nope, that's Jake Gyllenhaal. Mm. Okay, anyways, it's three concentric rings that all go in different directions around a fixed point. Sounds good. So that's a gimbal. It took us 20 minutes to describe a fucking gimbal. <laughs> oh, Lord. We're which is lose not so even many the... subscribers. <laughs> so they had to build this giant set piece that weighed about 45,000 pounds and held 89 people. Okay. That's huge, right? That is huge. So they had to film on board, and they wanted to do the explosion practically. There is CGI in the explosion, but they wanted to film how it would go practically. So the gimbal would shift 45 degrees side to side and 60 degrees front to back. Okay. Um, so that's what like that was to recreate onboard engine failure, like mm-hmm. what that would look like. Mm-hmm. So Saw was like, "Yeah, no, the screams were real." Oh my god! <laughs> and Wong said he walked into the studio and he lo- saw this giant gimbal with the plane on top, and he's like. Oh, no. The quote is, what have I done? I was afraid we were going to have 40 extras vomiting. Oh, no. <laughs> what have I done is a terrible thing to yeah, hear Yeah, that's from. not, that's <laughs> not, not what, what you want to hear from your director. From, yeah, from your fearless leader. <laughs> that is not what you want to hear. Oh, so Dang. they didn't actually film the explosion in that. Sorry, I missed, missed that out. They obviously couldn't. There's people inside. Um, but the, So the explosion is CG. Don't sacrifice but... yourself for this movie that none of you know anything about. <laughs> it might flop. What is this, the 40s? <laughs> it's ha- happy to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pleasure. It's to a be pleasure alive. to be alive. Damn it! Um, so I they did create a miniature Boeing seven forty seven, and this was where the practical came, practical came in. It's a it was a super detailed miniature. It's about ten feet long and seven feet wide. They actually made landing gear, and so they had to launch the minimum. Uh, they had to launch the miniature up about forty feet in the air. Mm-hmm. To make it look like an actual exploding fireball Boeing 747. So to film it in detail, they had to have three cameras running 120 frames per second and one camera running 300 frames per second. Shit. Yeah. So that way you can slow it down and make it more look, look more realistic. So if you had used like a real-time camera, it would look like shit. Yeah. So using these really, really, like that's a super high speed. Right. Most, are sh- most, most of them are shot at 24. Yeah. Um, 24 to f- and like that's why we think like soap operas look really shitty. And why we think high def looks shitty sometimes, because mm-hmm. we've been taught that 24 is standard TV film. Right. So when they're shot at higher FPS, like 60, mm-hmm. um, like soap operas are, 
mm-hmm. they look wrong to us. Right. But that's why you use these really, so tr- five times that is what one of these cameras is running at. Wow. Yeah. And five times is that, uh, the 24 and is what yeah. the cameras in the 300. So I think that's super fucking cool. No, that's really cool. I love, I love what I'm hearing. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently, this is the last thing, but apparently the, uh, they called it the Rube Goldberg effect for Miss Luton's death scene. Oh my god! Uh, and they said it was the hardest one to plan, just because really? it's like a whole series of things that have to happen in ca- in camera too, yeah, and in sequence. It's like I always think of when I think of these these deaths, those really intricate domino. Yeah, that's that's the Rube Goldberg. I don't Goldberg. even know what you is that. That's is what that it what is. Yeah, so like a, or like a breakfast machine is another term for it, but Rube Goldberg is the standard name. I had never heard the. Um, specific name for that i i was i was trying to think of like my own thing like the domino maze like the domino effect yeah yeah like that's what i always i love watching those videos that people set up where it's like a bunch of different shit happens oh i love watching people make rube goldberg machines yeah no it's really cool but that's yeah that that's it we were saying the same things but using (laughs) different words because i didn't know the official word (laughs) but yeah one of my favorite things is the music in this Mm-hmm. Such a good use of Rocky Mountain High. Oh, definitely. And do you know why they used that? Why they chose that? Why? John Denver died in a plane crash. Oh, he did, didn't he? Yeah. And you know I love me some John Denver. Tam. Colorado. I do like, I, I grew up listening to John Denver. He's, I mean, he's a beautiful voice. Very yeah. good songwriter. Yeah. R.I.P. R.I.P. But yeah, I love, I love, love, love the use, the continued use of Rocky Mountain High because it always means someone's about to die. Yeah, we love a little signal. Yeah, because it <laughs> happens first with Todd, then comes marriage. No, uh, <laughs> then God. it happens with Miss Luton, and then we have it in the end um, with Alessandro Giuliani playing it in French. Yeah, when Carter dies, that's and I, really cool. It's really, really well done. Yeah, no, I love... And that's how you... I love a theme. <laughs> it's also the signal that Carter's not about to die in the car scene. Mm-hmm. Because they don't play it. Because it's not playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Because other than Terry, everybody else has it happen. Yeah, because Terry's is unexpected. Right. And that's why we don't get it there. Yeah. It's actually Nine Inch Nails playing there. Sick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you have any other thoughts? No, I just I, I I think that this is a really fun concept, and I'm really glad that they went the teenager route and, yeah. and scream because again, I think it I think it um, makes it a lot more interesting to see people who are typically put into this box of feel like saying like oh well you just think you're gonna live forever you think you're you feel invincible so Mm -hmm. you think you're invincible sort of thing having them question the ideas of mortality is way more interesting than. A series of unrelated adults. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's there's good versions of that and there's bad versions of that. No, it um, could have been done. I, I just personally like the idea of it being with younger folks. Yeah. It's funny. This movie, this film series kind of got into an arms race with itself, mm-hmm. having to make successive deaths more clever and more gruesome. Oh, totally. Like you, by the time you get to the final destination, it's, it's a gore fest. Mm-hmm. Like in three like a car engine block goes through a guy's head and he's killed by a fan. Yeah. And I thought that was the most gruesome they were going to get. No, sir. No, sir. It gets so much worse in the fun. Like they're all like successively just like more sickening. Think about being in that, in that like writer's room and being like, okay, so 
He, like just just trying to one up each other. Yeah. Of, like the sickest death that you could possibly think of. That's, that has to be like accidental. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's so intense. fun. That's why like the. That's why it was so clever with like the tanning bed death and like the the car wash death. Like those are yeah. like and this is that's what some people talk like a lot of people talk about these as their favorite deaths in horror. And yeah. I'm I'm one of those people. Like we all know Topher loves gore, mm-hmm. but like this gore is so it's so much milder in the first one because mm-hmm. I think they wanted to you know, they didn't want to risk not like getting money back. Yeah. Like, they were afraid that they got went too gory with the first one, and they wanted to focus on the story more. Mm-hmm. The subsequent ones still have very good stories. Yeah. But they definitely, because they have more leeway from the studio, because they're a guaranteed bet at that point, mm-hmm. like, they're a guaranteed return. Yeah. Then they were allowed to get crazier and crazier with it. Totally. Um, I really, but yeah, I it's funny. People are like, what are your favorite horror films? And this is in my, like, these are up there for me. I mean, They're not are... top 10 for, like, a, most amazing movies ever made, but in terms of ones I go back and rewatch, this and the third one are on that Good. list. Yeah. I, I think that's funny that people like, are like, wait, what the fuck? You love Final Destination? You talk so much shit about Ott's horror films. I'm like, except Final Destination. Final right. Destination slaps. Right. <laughs> yeah. You can't convince me otherwise. It's, like, it's just my one of my favorite franchises. Yeah. And one of the most consistently good. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I've seen four out of five, and they're all fucking great. Yeah. And I'm, I need to watch the fifth one. I keep meaning to. It came out ten years ago. Well, um, we will. Yeah. It's just funny, like, because Halloween, some great films. I'd say there's three really good films in the Halloween franchise. Yeah. Nightmare, there's two, maybe three really good ones. And I'd say there's three really good Friday the 13th. Yeah. And that's, but like, think about your, your major f- like horror franchises, I don't like The Conjuring. I've only seen one of The Purge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the better version of Saw to me. I know that they're very different in a lot of ways, but in a lot of ways to me, they're pretty similar. And in, in the way that, like, I felt like Saw's writing uh, writers room was very similar in how can we make this death like we keep having to up the ante on the gruesomeness yeah, exactly. of the yeah. deaths, and this one was. Similar to that. And so in my mind, I enjoy Final Destination way more than I enjoy Saw. Because I, I kind of just find Saw bloody and unnecessary. Um, yeah, the first one is okay. We we liked it's it okay. enough. Yeah. We had our, we, we I think it just got out episode. of hand. It got yeah, out of hand I, and it didn't need to be made as into as many films as it did. James Wan said the same thing. Yeah. So... He oh, keeps getting franchises that are giant. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's again, there's a reason why the phrase Final Destination is pretty universally recognized as vernacular and mm-hmm. in a way to describe things, just like I said at the beginning of the podcast. So, I mean, th- these movies are good. They're yeah. good. Um, again, they're not the best movie that's ever been made, but that's a really tough seat to fill. Yeah, that's a, that's a so, big shoes. I mean, the thing is on that list. So Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So yeah, I mean that—that's really all I had to say today about about this. This um, is a high recommend from me. Yeah, it—it's it, fun. It's fun in a very terrifying way, but that's yeah. it's a good horror film. And I also love well-written goofiness. That's something yeah. I didn't—I meant to say earlier, and I didn't get into. It's not that—it's not that long of a bit. These but teenagers feel very real. They do, and it's—it's yeah. it's also a movie that doesn't take itself seriously, but knows exactly what it is. Yeah, it takes. Agreed. It's. it's we've it's talked about this with Raimi. Mm-hmm. All that—that's why I compare this to him. Mm-hmm. Again, not as technically proficient yeah. as he is, yeah. but damn close. Yeah. And 
the the cleverness is there the dedication to not be the dedication to the craft and not to the seriousness yeah. is what I love about this. Like yeah. it is nowhere near as, it doesn't take itself near as seriously as like, uh, uh, I know what you did last summer. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's got the same, it's, it's on the same vector as a scream or a, uh, I, I drag me to hell. I will never remember the name of that fucking you just movie. Did. I, I started to say, I saw the devil again. Right. It's not even close to the same movie. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, thank you guys for listening yeah. today, babes. Make sure that you're following us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at Horror Babes Podcast on Instagram at Horror Babes Pod on Twitter. And we have our website at HorrorBabesPod.com. And you'll want to be following us because we're coming up on our 100th episode, which means we're going to do a fun little giveaway for you guys. So mm-hmm. make sure that you are on the lookout for that in the in next month i think in in september so and if you like what you've been hearing please give us a rate or review or tell your friends we're all three we're all three not to be greedy but i am gold star also those are very three easy very easy things so i think i can expect it of y'all you've showed me that you are capable of doing these true true all right stay safe out there babes bye Bye, babes. babes